How many of you guys know what I mean when I say bucket list? You guys know what a bucket list is? Apparently it's the things you want to do before you kick the bucket. Right? The bucket list. So, you know, I want to go uh, bungee jumping, which, by the way, is not on my bucket list. <laughs> um, I want to show you a picture, I think, if we have it. Um, this lady here, her name is Harriet Richardson Ames. And there's a, there was a story uh, online about her in the last 24 hours. It was Harriet Richardson Ames' dream to earn her bachelor's degree in education. She finally reached that milestone nearly three weeks after achieving another, her 100th birthday. On Saturday, listen to this, the day after receiving her diploma at her bedside, the retired school teacher died. Pleased that she had accomplished her goal, her daughter said. She had what I call a bucket list, and that was the last thing on it. And it goes on, you know, it's an awesome story. Um, a bucket list then is one that, things that you want to accomplish, things that you uh, desire to do in light of the fact that you don't have all the time in the world, right? Uh, how many of you were with us on this last Sunday? Um, Peter, if you haven't been with us, this whole letter, he writes to a persecuted church, one who's um, experiencing tremendous trials, uh, even more, believe it or not, than the things that we're facing uh, today. On Sunday, I'll just do a quick review if I can. Peter said, in these Terrible circumstances, arm yourself with Christ's mindset. Look at verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. In other words, have the same mindset that Jesus did when he suffered for you. And number one, we saw that uh, when you're suffering, have this in your mindset, that Part of what the Lord is trying to accomplish is that you would win over sin. Because you see it says, for he who has, this is uh, the end of verse 1, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Number two, we saw, look, be wise with the time you have left. Win over sin, number one. Number two, be wise with the time you have left. Uh, you, you'll find that in verses two and three. It's all about time. It says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetimes in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Number one, win over sin. Number two, be wise with the time you have left. Number three, be weird to the world. Saw that in verse 4. In regard to these, your old buddies, they think it's strange. I added your, your old buddies, but that's for your clarification. <laughs> in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. We saw how the whole world looks at you as you're the weirdo, but actually you're the one who finally sees it straight. And then number 4. We win in the end. Have that mindset. Don't forget, we win in the end. Because he says, verse 5, look, those guys, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. One of Peter's points, I think, was, look, we win in the end. These, your, your friends are being martyred, yes, but they're still living. They're still living in a different place, but they, they're winning the, the war, right? We win in the end. So, just as a review for Sunday, win over sin, Peter says. 
Be wise with your time that remains. It's okay, it's good to be weird to the world. And look, we win in the end. Speaking of the end, Peter says tonight, here's your bucket list for the end of the world. Verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Now he's speaking of Jesus' return, uh, the end of the current age. Um, Peter says right here in verse 7, it is at hand. Uh, the, the word would, would mean imminent. Now, perhaps you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a second. These words were written 2,000 years ago. And you're telling me that his return, the end of the age, the end of all things is imminent? Yes. The different, there's a difference between the word immediate and the word imminent. Right? Imminent means it could happen at any time. Um, Jesus could return in the next 5,000 years or the next five years or the next five months or the next five weeks. And this is Peter's point. Or the next five hours or five minutes. That's Peter's whole point here. If you don't believe me, I can give you some homework um, it, in that what teachers do. Don't believe me, I give you homework. Um, read Matthew 24 and 25 and you'll see uh, that the disciples had a lot of questions about the end times. And Jesus said, look, the way that you're going to know that the end of the world is, is imminent, that, of my return, he speaks of wars, rumors of wars, famines, false religious teachers, earthquakes, all of that stuff, right? And again, you might say, what? Come on, all of those things have been going on for 2,000 years. But, Matthew 24, verse 7 and 8, Jesus says, For a nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And then verse 8 says, And all these things are the beginning of sorrows. And literally, it's birth pangs. Now, how many moms do we have in the room? Familiar with birth pangs? How, how, how many dads are familiar with the per- birth pangs, too, from a different perspective? <laughs> birth pangs come in waves, right? And as the birth gets closer, they get nearer together and more intense. Jesus told us that as the, the new kingdom nears, right, as, as the, the new kingdom begins its birth, these birth pangs, that is wars, rumors, false religious teachers, art leaders, earthquakes, all of that stuff is going to still remain, but what's going to happen is it's going to grow in intensity and frequency. The birth pangs are going to get closer together and they're going to get worse and worse. Does anybody else feel like I do sometimes? You read the newspaper and you're like, birth pang. Right? And the times of peace and rest, they seem to be less and less frequent. And the birth pangs that happen seem to be more intense and more close together. And of course, if you were paying attention, this jibes perfectly with what Peter said about Jesus just a couple verses ago. Look back at verse 5. I pointed this out on Sunday. It says that those people who love dissipation, uh, that are running from their salvation, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living 
and the dead. Notice it doesn't say him who is gearing up to judge the living and the dead. Him who is kind of thinking about judging. No, he's ready right now. And he's been ready since Peter wrote this. Right? So Peter says, look, whether it's immediate or not, one thing I can tell you. Jesus' return is imminent. It could happen today. So, he says, in light of that, here's your bucket list. Verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Interesting how this was translated because the word serious is sophronio. It means to be of a sound mind. To be in one's right mind. And the word watchful is nepho, and it means to be sober, to be calm and collected in spirit. Now, when you know those things, verse 7 reads really interesting to me because it says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be in your right mind and calm and collected in your prayers. Now, isn't that a little bit surprising? Wouldn't you expect to hear, the end of the world is near, so run screaming naked into the hills. Right, this is as unexpected as if Chicken Little were to say, sky is falling, just relax, chill out. But Peter says exactly that. Look, the end of all things is at hand, so be calm and cool and collected. Again, this reminds me, seems like this is a returning theme, at least for me. Reminds me of Jesus being calm in the midst of the storm. Right? What an odd combination of concepts. This is the end of the world, so just chill out. And actually, if you're taking notes, you can put that first on your bucket list. Chill out. Of course, the question is, how? You're telling me that it's the end of the world and you want me to chill out? How in the world can you do that? Well, look at those last three words of that verse. In your prayers. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. You'll see, I think, a perfectly parallel uh, text. Philippians 4. The exact same kind of idea is, look, this is the end of, of, of things. The Lord is at hand, so chill out. Verse, Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Imminent, right? Verse 6, very familiar verse to most of us. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Chill out. The, the message is the same in both texts, right? Which is, look, the Lord is at hand. And both say, don't worry about anything but pray about everything. Most of you, I've already heard that, but let me say it again in case maybe you need to hear it specifically tonight. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. The world may come crashing in around you. You might feel like a lonely sheep in the midst of wolves. Jesus said, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. It might look really bad. <laughs> you, 
your boat might be rocking because of a storm that you're in. Jesus was calm in the midst of the storm. And we are called to chill out, to be calm and cool and collected. And the only way that I know of to make that happen is to pray. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And the more the the end approaches, the more important this is, right? This is an application in case you haven't taken hold of it yet, or maybe you have and, and you need to be reminded. Application. Turn every worry into a prayer. Turn every worry into a prayer. Be a a worry converter. <laughs> a, a, a worry to prayer converter. Every thought that enters your mind as a worry, let it leave your mouth as a prayer. Every thought that enters your mind as a worry, let it leave your mouth as a prayer. That's what Peter is calling this church that is, again, people are being burned alive, crazy stuff. And he says, the end of all things is at hand. So relax, be calm, cool and collected. And the way it happens is by prayer. Okay, so number one, chill out in prayer. Number two, you ready? Stretch out with love. Verse seven, but the end of all things is at hand. Uh, So in light of that, Number one, be serious and watchful in your prayers or chill out in prayer. Number, uh, and verse eight, here's number two. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. The word fervent there, ectanes, and it means stretched out. It means earnestly. It's the picture of a runner stretching for the tape. And Peter says that's the way we're supposed to love each other, right? We're supposed to stretch to love each other. You've heard me say it. Sometimes it's more of a stretch than others. Verse 8, above all things have fervent, that is stretching love for one another. So that means not an inflexible, rigid kind of love, a love that stretches, not the love that, that costs you nothing, but the love that you have to strive for. He's talking about love that stretches your patience or stretches your resources or stretches your sanity. (laughs) Love that stretches your forgiveness, your ability or willingness to forgive. Peter says, look, a love that costs you something is going to make you stretch. And he says, in your bucket list, Make sure that's in there, that you stretch to love. Blessing a believer who rubs you the wrong way, right? Speaking well of a person who was thoughtless in their words toward you. That's what he's talking about, being stretching in love. Um, I noticed three things in verse 8. Um, I love it when the Lord does this, when he just starts to open up the, the word, and it's like, wow, there's so many applications. Uh, I hope not to overwhelm you. Again, what we want to do is look for the thing that the Lord has for us, specifically, individually tonight. Notice number one, Peter's talking about our relationships within the church. Because he says, above all things, have fervent love for one another, right? How many of you guys have seen those signs? Um, I think they're awesome. Um, I don't... No, if we, we've talked about having one. I don't think we've done it yet. The signs at the uh, 
end of a church driveway or maybe above the sign, above the door on your way out, you are now entering the mission field? You guys seen those? Those are cool. What would you think of one that read this way? You are, and it's above the door on, the, on your way in. It says, you are now entering the love laboratory. <laughs> he says, look, above all things, have a stretching kind of love for one another. I think he wants us to look at this like, look, here's an environment that's supposed to be safe. That we're supposed to be able to, to look, I messed up there. I, can I say I'm sorry and trust that you're going to forgive me? Because... Jesus told you to. <laughs> what if we looked at this building, uh, our relationships within the church, not only in, in Calvary Chapel, but in the church at large too, as a love lab, um, agape shop. <laughs> if you're in the old English, the agape shoppe, shoppe. <laughs> How awesome would it be if, if, if all of us, but let's say even just some of us, were to beginning tonight say, this is where I practice loving the unlovable. And there's a few, right? Because this is a safe environment where we're commanded to give each other a break. Okay? That's one idea. Um, <clears throat> also, remember that he's talking to a persecuted church. Another reminder that this keeps coming up with, with Peter. Look, guys, we need each other. And as the end approaches us, things get worse. We need to be focused on how we behave within the love lab, the agape shop bay. <laughs> right? So that Calvary Chapel of the Lakes, you know, it'd be awesome if altars was like this, but let's focus on ours. That ours can be a sanctuary, a safe place where you can make a mistake and you have the, the, the ability and the desire to say you're sorry and to know that you're going to be forgiven. Okay? That's two things. Notice one more thing. You notice that even though it's number two on our bucket list, fervently love one another, even though it's number two in our outline, did you notice that for Peter it's number one? For Peter, to love one another is job one. Look at it again. Verse eight says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. Literally, it means before all else. Uh, it's P-R-O-S uh, before, and P-A-S is the, to mean all. So before all things, Peter says, love each other fervently. So you could say Peter s- says that to love each other is job one. And that totally uh, matches what Jesus said, right? They'll know that you're mine by your love for one another. I haven't told you yet, but I'm I'm so excited. Uh, I think I think uh, Amy mentioned that it's interesting how the Lord works things together and shows that He's really talking. Right? He did it with uh, tribulation and, and the the message that the Lord gave here on Sunday morning, and then the, that He gave with the ladies in the afternoon. Um, I'm really excited because on Sunday, our servants' opportunity Sunday, the the message that we're going to look at is like the next few verses, verses 10 and 11, that are all about using your gifts to bless each other. Isn't that awesome? I'm saying all of that because Sunday we're going to have this SOS, and I really think that the Lord is in it, and that he's calling all of us to use our gifts, right, to glorify him, to bless each other, and that everybody has a job to do. 
But how important is it, this verse, and above all things, job one is to love one another. Before everything else, we have to love one another. We have to stretch to love one another. We have to think the best of each other. We have to work hard to keep short accounts. We have to sometimes work hard according to Matthew 18 when he says, look, if if you're offended, you need to go to that person. We have to do all of those awkward and difficult things to make sure that loving each other is job one. Let me give you an example. Let's say I write the world's most amazing sermon. I know you're thinking fat chance. But let's say it's, it's awesome. But I've spent six months a year, whatever, just showing you, each one of you, uh, by my, the look on my face or, or my actions or whatever, that I don't love you. Will you receive that? It'll just be words to you. Right? The Holy Spirit's not going to honor that. He's not going to, to come and to pour all of the weight of His Holy Spirit into the words uh, to, to use me like that. And that's just one example. You name the job. You know, again, I'm hoping that everybody uh, on Sunday, you go and you're like, oh, this is where I'd like to serve. And, and it worked, all works out in the end and there's a perfect fit and all that stuff. It doesn't matter what the job is. If love is not job one, it rings hollow. And it's never going to work. If your gift is administration, organizing, and what you do is the way you look at people is just that they're things to be organized, that they're human resources, and that they're not people that God loves, that Jesus died for, you're, you're missing it. So love must be job one. Right? You teach the kids. We, we definitely need teachers. If you don't do it with love, we're not interested. Now, it's interesting to me that prayer, again, comes in verse 7, but love comes in verse 8. But when, when love comes in verse 8, do you realize that Peter is very careful to point out, uh, don't forget, though, that love is job one. Have you ever thought about this? That love comes even before prayer love comes even before prayer um, Matthew five twenty three and 24 Jesus said therefore if you bring your gift to the altar and therefore remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift there before the altar and go your way first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift love comes before prayer and we saw a, a few I think it was in the last chapter when Peter says to the husbands in this same letter Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, right? Honor her. Look at her as your loving teammate, right? In other words, love her. And why do you say? So that your prayers won't be hindered. In essence, God said to all of the husbands in this room, don't come to me unless you're loving your wife. And Jesus said it in Matthew 5, right? Don't come to me unless you're loving your brother. So loving each other is job one, even before prayer. Bucket list for the end of the world. How are we supposed to live in this age? Number one, chill out. Turn every worry into prayer. Number two, stretch out in love. Make it your job one. If anything has to suffer, don't let it be that. Loving other folks, other believers. Verse eight. 
And above all things, have fervent love for one another. And here's why. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Peter's quoting there Proverbs 10, verse 12. that says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Again, Peter's giving, I think, timely application here to a church in high stress. I think he's saying to them, uh, I know you're, you're, things are really super stressful, right? This is a high stress situation. He says you have a choice. You can go at each other, <clears throat> be like dogs that are nipping at each other and trying to consume one another and that's just going to stir up strife or you can love each other stretch to love each other and you can find calm in the midst of the storm because your shortcomings will be covered again i love it when the when the lord expands all of the applications and begins to point some of them out I'm looking at uh, verse 8, and there's a number of things that I just feel like I should share with you. Um, they're sort of unrelated. I don't know. Call this the buckshot approach. <laughs> um, one is, first that he says, love will cover a multitude of sins. One of the things that he says is, look, this, this works judicially, meaning when we forgive others, it, God forgives us, right? Matter of fact, Jesus even said that, and it's a, it's... Uh, a startling phrase. It's like, if you don't forgive your brother, my, my Father in Heaven won't forgive you. Really? Wow. So there's that judicially, that idea. Then there's the application-wise, which is when he says, love co- will cover a multitude of sins, it could be that he's saying, look, this is what love looks like. Love covers another's sins. Um, it, if you're familiar with the story of Noah, right after the flood, he uh, made himself a, a vineyard and got drunk and finds himself naked, right? Drunk, passed out. His, one of his sons, Canaan, went to his brothers and went, you'll never guess what happened. Dad is naked over here. He's just completely bombed out of his head. Come check it out. And the other two brothers would not, it says that they, they backed up and they, they put a cloak over his nakedness. Love covers. See, the, the Christian is to be constantly confessing his own sins and shortcomings. But he's to be looking for ways to cover his brother's shortcomings. And I hate to say it, but some of us, maybe all of us at times, apparently didn't get the memo. Some of us think or thought that maybe it says, oh, I thought it said constantly cover my own sin and confess my brother's sin. Cover mine, expose his. No, it's the other way around. We're to be confessing our own sin. 1 John 1, nine. But in regard to others, 1 Peter 4.8 right here, love covers a multitude of sin. Application, did you get that memo just now? In regard to our own sin, 1 John 1, 9. In regard to other people's, 1 Peter 4, 8. Cover that sin. Don't dwell on it. Don't think about it. Do what you can to avert your eyes from their shortcomings. Verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, 
And here's why again, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So judicially, this is true, right? Uh, Applicationally, if that's a word, this is what love looks like. It covers. But what about just plain practically? Love covers a multitude of sins. I gave you a a negative reason to stretch out in love, right? If you don't, your prayers are going to be hindered. But here's a positive reason to stretch out in love. Agape love covers a multitude of sins. The the word sins there is harmatia. Uh, It means to fall short, shortcomings, right? Made me think of an illustration that I think I can relate to you. Um, many years I've sung with a group, an acapella group, and we've recorded a few CDs. And in the CDs, you know, there's a lot of tricks in the studio you can do and stuff like that. Um, how many of you guys know when I, call, when I say the word reverb, you know what I mean? Okay. Uh, typically, like if you were to go into a big old cathedral and you talk and it goes, well, 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 right? That's reverb. The group that I'm, I, I sing with... We have a a saying when we go into recording, reverb covers a multitude of sins. Shortcomings. Right? If your entrance is a little late or a little early, or sometimes even if you're a little off pitch, reverb covers a multitude of sins. Matter of fact, you can see if I'm right. Uh, How many of you would say, look, I can't carry a tune in a bucket with a lid on it? Anyone? Okay, you guys are pretty proud of yourself. Um, <laughs> just as an experiment, if you, if you don't think you can, go into an acoustically live cathedral, one that just goes, oh, you'll leave going, I am awesome. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this? Love is your reverb unit. This stretching kind of love is like a tone-deaf man carrying around his own cathedral. It covers up a lot of shortcomings in you and others. So you're not good at this thing or that thing. If you love one another fervently, if you stretch out in love, it's going to cover a lot of junk and miscues and misentrances and all that kind of stuff. If, if we give each other the benefit of the doubt, if we think well of each other, even when it's difficult and awkward, even when you have to correct, let's say you have to correct someone, you do it privately because that's what love does. If you live by the golden rule, you will be amazed at how well the mess sounds. Right? That's one of the reasons that Peter says, look, love is job one. It covers a multitude of missteps and um, that just... In case you wonder, a lot of times, um, I learned this from Pastor Gibb in Orlando. He, he gave me counsel one time. He's like, if you're worried about messing up, ask the Lord that he would minimize your mistakes. How simple. Awesome. Lord, minimize my mistakes. Help me not to, to step in it you know, any more than, than I need to or that you're teaching me to do. Um, and I think he's saying here, look, one of the ways to minimize your mistakes is to love fervently. So... Peter says, look, it's the end of the world as we know it. So, bucket list, chill out with prayer. Stretch out with fervent, costly, stretching love. Number three, reach out with the right attitude. 
Because he says, verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Hospitable literally means to be friendly to strangers. Now, apparently Peter can't really be talking about strangers because he says, be hospitable to one another, right? So why does he use that word? Um, I'm wondering if it's because many times, like, have you ever been visiting someone, uh, let's say, you go, on, you go to a convention uh, and it's all Christian and they, somebody invites you into their home, right? You're pretty much on your best behavior, right? Hopefully. And they're pretty much on their best behavior, right? Where you, uh, you know each other are Christian and you're, you're trying to, uh, to make their stay as good as possible and, and likewise. Um, so many times with a stranger, we consciously strive to be kind, Right? For the Lord's sake. Uh, maybe it's that verse sticks in our head because you never know if you're entertaining angels unaware, right? Amen. Problem is, some of us look at each other, we've known each other for a while, and I go, I know he's no angel. <laughs> but Peter says, look, that's, we're supposed to treat each other like that. Be on your best behavior, right? Treat each other just as if... Uh, that person came and is visiting your home. Um, he says, be hospitable to one another, and that means reciprocally, mutually, right? Again, what an awesome environment, even in the midst of great persecution, how awesome to have a place of sanctuary where we treat each other as best as we possibly can. He says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Some of you guys are familiar with this word. This is one of those fun words to say. It's gonguzmos, grumbling. And it's onomatopoeic. Because it means to murmur, to mutter. Right? Gonguzmos. It's a secret debate, a secret displeasure, not openly avowed. So it's, it's acting one way. Hey, welcome to my home, stranger. Lord bless you. Hey, um, here, if you, if you need, to, uh, if you need to, to lay down, this is where you go. And then you leave the room. Gonguzmos. <laughs> Imagine that you are a guest in someone's home. And they, they come to you and they say, Oh, we're so happy to have you here. Here's your room where you'll be staying. <laughs> oh, and, and here's over here's where you can shower. <laughs> and we'll be serving breakfast tomorrow at 8 a.m. <laughs> Wouldn't you just as soon pack up and go? Wouldn't you just as soon be like, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> to, to be hospitable, but with grumbling, is just as bad as being not hospitable at all. The point in verse 9, I think, is, look, your attitude is every bit no more important than your actions, your, your act of reaching out, I should say. Right? He says, look, <clears throat> reach out to one another in love, be hospitable, be kind, but don't let it be... Yeah, I just did that because Jesus made me do it. <laughs> Application. Maybe you are doing all the right things, but you're doing it with a grumbling heart. If so, repent. Time is short. The end of all things is near. Lastly, um, because of this verse and, and because it, it fits with where I feel like the Lord is, is kind of taking us. Some of us went to the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, 
went to the senior pastors conference last week, and one of the things is uh, we had a kind of a debriefing meeting, and uh, one of the things that kind of surfaced that we're like, yeah, we really want to concentrate and be good at this. And by the way, I wouldn't rather be in any church. I I so blessed. Um, but you know how sometimes you can just not be aware of things, and like once you focus on them, then you can really do the job well. One of the things that seemed like the Lord was telling us that He wants us to do really well is to be hospitable to all of the strangers that are coming in lately. Right? Um, and I, again, I'm thankful that I'm not telling you this as like, you guys aren't hospitable. No, I'm just saying let's be aware to consciously be hospitable. Um, for most people, as they come in, into any new church, it's really easy to feel invisible, right? Um, if you're like me, if you go into a new church, you don't want to be too visible, but you don't want to be invisible either. Nobody wants to feel invisible. Maybe your application tonight could be as simple as this, Lord, help me to be one of those people at Calvary Chapel that makes this a welcoming place, um, that, that intentionally, again, strives, stretches to make sure that the, those people who are brand new faces or have been coming a while and still don't know folks, that they feel welcome. Maybe your prayer could be something like this. Lord, continue to make our church a place where people sense your presence, but more specifically, Lord, make me one who reaches out to unfamiliar faces. Again, asking them simple questions like, hey, what's your name? Uh, how could I pray for you? And obviously, without grumbling... <laughs> How can I pray for you? I knew you were going to say that. Again, it comes back to kind of looking at, at church Sunday morning. Just so you know how serious we are, um, I've asked Chris, who is one of the people that keeps me together, keeps me organized, uh, to send out an email to the leaders um, on Saturday night. Let's be in prayer, remi- remembering that there's people who are hurting, who who we want to feel like they can open up, all that stuff. Long story short, what I'm saying is, Come into Sunday morning, Thursday nights, looking at this as a love lab, as an agape shop. And, and start this Sunday, right? Maybe learn two, two uh, names of, of new families, right? That's just something to pray about. I feel like it, it totally fits here with verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So, to review, Peter says, look, the end is near. It is at hand, but don't freak out. Here's your bucket list for the end of the world. Chill out and pray. Stretch out in love and reach out without grumbling. And last on the bucket list, we're going to leave it for Sunday. The time is is drawing near, right? He's close at hand. We don't have a lot of time. Guys, share your gifts with one another. I'm just going to read it and then we'll close. And above all things, have fervent love for one another for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to another, as to one another, excuse me, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. And here's our goal. This is the whole reason we're doing the bucket list that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, 
to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you again for the just the really practical things that you put in your word. The, the call to application. Um, I know for me, Lord, if, if it were just all cerebral stuff and, it, and there was no application, I could easily also lose interest, Lord. But here we have so many things uh, that if, if we just pick even one and say, Lord, this is what I want to focus on. This is... Uh, I want this to be, Lord, do you want this to be uh, the goal for me over these next few days until you give me other marching orders? Um, Lord, I know you're you're giving us principles and you're desiring that we would uh, seek to be doers of your word. And if we we do, you'll mold us and you'll shape us more into your image. We'll be more and more effective, Lord, as the days uh, draw to a close. Thank you, Lord, for these saints who've shown up uh, even tonight to to get uh, their marching orders from you. Help us tonight, Lord, not to just uh, to kind of ponder it, but actually to, uh, to come before you and to apply it. In Jesus' precious name, amen.